Don't you just love it when Jesus teaches about family values? In the uh, in all the material I've read uh, about focusing on the family, these passages don't seem to come up very often. And uh, I think I know why. I think we all know why. Um, this is a really hard teaching. This is a really hard teaching. And uh, part of it is because it involves divisions in families. Uh, and divisions of uh, father against son and son against father, daughter against mother and mother against daughter, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Well, we might have more cultural space for that. But uh, it's really hard. Anybody who has um, found a, a relationship with a loved one, someone who is kin, stretched to its breaking point and beyond, uh, knows what this is like, the, the heartache and the pain of losing a relationship with someone who matters so deeply. And Jesus seems to be pointing towards that. And then just a, a couple verses earlier than that, uh, he asks this question, do you think I came to bring peace to the earth? Uh, yeah, kind of. Pretty much. You know, those whole angels heralding peace on earth and goodwill to humankind. Uh, and you also just sent out your students, your disciples, to go to villages. And the first thing they're supposed to say is, peace be to this house. And later at the end, he's going to offer his peace. And so, you know, we're kind of attached to this whole Prince of Peace notion. So how does he answer this question? Do you think I came to bring peace to the earth? No. But instead, division. What's going on? Sometimes I, I wonder when I read passages like this, and this one in particular, if the, the pressure of being the Messiah has finally caught up to Jesus. And I actually think it might be the case. And our clue is in the text. Uh, in the text, Jesus says uh, how, how much stress he's feeling and the word in Greek, uh, it's like, um, it's like uh, ha something that is having so much pressure, it's barely able to hold together. It's like pressing in on all the sides, because if you don't, it's going to fall to pieces. This is what Jesus is feeling. Does it feel familiar? He, um, he's feeling it for good reason. Because as the anointed one, he was given a, um, a 
very specific mission to fulfill this baptism that he talks about. And you can, uh, and you can hear it earlier in Luke's gospel. Do you remember when Jesus goes back to his hometown and he goes to the synagogue and uh, they give him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, right? What we heard from earlier, but it's later in the scroll and he unrolls it and he says, you know, what I am, uh, what is to happen, what the prophet says is to lift up the oppressed, to set the captives free, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the Lord's jubilee, financial freedom for those who are underwater. And he says, today, right now, it's being fulfilled. And so when he goes through the land and he sees people who are living in misery, right, echoing the words that we heard today of looking for justice, but instead finding bloodshed. Looking for righteousness, but instead hearing people crying out. Can you understand now where Jesus' passion is coming from? Why he wants this to be done already. He knows how to make this right. And he also knows that it will come with fire and conflict. First about the fire. The, the use of the metaphor of fire, biblically, has different understandings. One of them, to be sure, is of destruction and of judgment. But just a couple chapters earlier, we heard... Uh, the two, two of the disciples, the brothers, James and John, they've gone to a village, and the village has not welcomed them. And so what is the response of James and John? They want to call down fire on this village. And Jesus' response is that he rebukes them. Now, I think that the fire that Jesus is talking about here is the, the refiner's fire. And the refiner's fire is uh, to work with metal, copper, silver, gold. And, and what you do is you fire up that metal to such a degree that the other elements in it kind of float up to the top. And then the dross, you can, you can, you can scrape off and you have um, the metal as it's intended to be as it can be used. Now, it's not that this, this refining fire is easy. Both as individual people and as corporate bodies, we hold on to these things very tightly, even if they maybe don't serve us well or if they don't serve those around us well. But it is so difficult to let go of those things that sometimes the refiner's fire is what is needed to release them. Can you see now why Jesus 
why he might call for fire. When he looks around him and sees what is happening. Often when I read a text like our gospel this morning, a text that I find to be really challenging, one of the questions that I ask is, why did we keep this text? Honestly, why? You know, as you look through the gospels canonically, and then if you look at the other gospels that exist around Jesus of Nazareth that are not canonical, you see there are many, many teachings. He did lots of things. But this community, they chose to keep this text, this teaching. Why? Well, I think it's because rather than necessarily being prescriptive for them, it was descriptive. It described the world that they knew in the first century, where families, some followed the Christ. Others did not. In a family of five, three against two, two against three, this was actually part of what happened, and it was phenomenally painful. And I, I think this is just as true in the 21st century as it was in the first. As we make these decisions as to how to live this life and and it comes into conflict with those we love around us. And this was just as true in the 20th century. I'd like to tell a story that took place here in this city in 1963. Uh, you may remember uh, there was an assembly member here William Byron Rumford. Uh, if you haven't seen it already, down on Sacramento, you'll see a statue, a bronze statue of him in the middle of the street right near where his pharmacy was. He was a pharmacist who later served his community in the California State Legislature. And uh, he particularly... Uh, uh, wrote laws that had to do with employment and housing as it had to do with the racial discrimination that existed. It was virulent. And he wrote what has been now called the Rumford Act. It started out as State Assembly Bill 1240. And uh, it banned unjust rental and uh, sale of properties in the state of California, you could no longer discriminate according to race. Now, at this stage, this may seem obvious, but of course, it was anything but. Uh, it narrowly passed on the last day of session on a just about a party line vote and was signed into law in 1963. And in 1964, the California Real Estate Association sponsored Proposition 14, which tried to make a state constitutional amendment banning any local or state measures that would um, 
that would legislate how housing practices could happen in this state. So the, the, the battle had been won, but the war was far from over. And into the heat stepped the Episcopal Church. Uh, all of the bishops of the state of California, the diocesan authorities, were against Proposition 14. They were in favor of maintaining the Rumford Act. And uh, the conversation was sometimes anything but civil or loving. In fact, there's a, a famous story of then Bishop Pike, the Bishop of California, going to visit uh, one of the congregations here. It used to be St. Patrick's in El Cerrito. And some of the Episcopalians were so irate about his stance. One of them, dressed in a, a fine mink coat, came up and yelled furiously at him, jabbing her finger. How could the church do this? So uh, here was the, the tally of results. Um, Proposition 14 passed by a two-to-one margin. And then was overturned by the state Supreme Court, which is why, to this day, in the state of California, the Rumford Act stands. It is no longer legal, even though it may be practiced, it is no longer legal to discriminate in housing practices according to race. Another tally, <laughs> uh, in the year following, 1965, the Episcopal Church in this area lost three to four million dollars of pledge dollars, which is about 25 to 30 million in our dollars. You see this, um, this division of three against two, two against three, it is for real. It will happen, but what emerged through the heat of that fire was a people of God, a part of the body of Christ that knew what it was for and was willing to stand for it. So, uh, do I believe that it was Jesus' mission to bring conflict. Given the totality of his teachings and of his actions, I don't think so. However, did Jesus, with every fiber of his being, want to dismantle the structures that held people, that hold people bondage? Absolutely. Did he want to uh, use this refining fire so that the people who continue to be oppressed can breathe free? Passionately. This is why he was willing to light the first match. But this was not a fire of destruction, of annihilation. That is not its purpose. Its purpose is so that 
on the other side, after we have been through the fire, like copper, silver, or gold, we may be fully more our intended purpose. So that we, having been tested, may be found true.